0: Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. In the first of our many looks at immersive audio, my guest this week is mastering engineer Michael Romanowski. First of all, Apple Music has finally gone all lossless. Now, they started with 20 million songs somewhere around July or August, and said that by the end of 2021, the whole catalog is going to be converted. And sure enough, It took them almost to the last day of the year, but all 90 million songs in the Apple Music Catalog have been converted to lossless. Now, they're using Apple's own codec. It's A-L-A-C, Apple Lossless Audio Codec. So they've finally delivered on their promise. This is just what I've been predicting for a while, that we'd finally see this. But there are some caveats. First of all, you can't stream lossless unless you use wired headphones or wired earbuds and you also have to have an external digital audio converter now that's not actually an apple thing this is because of the limitations of bluetooth and it turns out that there's a rumor that apple is actually coming up with its own version of bluetooth with its own version of a wireless format that in fact is more audio friendly there's another caveat you have to install the latest operating system, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or your computer. However, if you have an Apple HomePod, you can get lossless using that. I think the most interesting part of all this is the fact that Spotify promised it would deliver the same thing in 2021. In other words, they promised that their whole catalog would go lossless. That hasn't happened yet. As a matter of fact, there hasn't even been a peep about it since they announced it, and it seemed like they were doing it as a reaction to the Apple announcement, but fact of the matter is, Apple has finally gone ahead and done this. If you can listen to it, you'll hear substantially better audio in some cases, and you won't hear a difference in other cases, but this is certainly a step in the right direction. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at dot com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to Hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, here's something that's interesting. I get asked often, what interface should I buy? And since I've been using an Apollo Twin for quite a while, maybe five years now, actually ever since they came out, I can't really say because I haven't used any of them. That being said, there has been a survey by Gear News to figure out what are the hottest selling interfaces, at least for 2021. Now, the thing to keep in mind is we're not talking about the number of units that were shipped we're talking about the total revenue value. And that seems to be a lot fairer because if you're looking just at numbers, then the cheapest interfaces would always win. So in this case, it's done completely by the revenue that was generated. Okay, Focusrite has quite a presence on this list. And with number 20, it's the Focusrite Scarlet 18i8, third generation. Also at 19, Focusrite Scarlet 8i6, third generation. Number 18 comes the Universal Audio Apollo X8P, the Heritage Edition. I didn't even know there was a Heritage Edition. I I had to look this up. But in fact, what it means is it comes with either 5 or 10 of their classic plugins. At 17 is the Behringer Euphoria UMC204HD. And this is just $79, so it's one of the cheaper ones on the list. 16, Universal Audio UAD-2Satellite. TB3, in other words, Thunderbolt 3, Octo. Now, this isn't actually an interface. This is just adding more horsepower. And I don't think that it should be on the list, but nonetheless, it is here. Number 15 comes Universal Audio Apollo X4 Heritage Edition. This is a four input Apollo. And again, Heritage. So it's all of your favorite classic plugins. Number 14 is the Behringer Euphoria UMC-202HD. This is even cheaper. It's $65. So you get what you pay for, but again, this is what gets people in the game. 13, another Behringer. This is the UMC-404. This is a four-input version. At number 12 is the SSL-2+. Everyone was really curious when SSL came out with their first interfaces, but this is the one that really grabbed hold of everybody, mostly because it gives you a couple of inputs, it gives you some of the SSL sound, and a couple other bonuses. Number 11, we're at Focusrite again, the 2i2 third generation. Number 10 is Universal Audio Twin X Quad Heritage. Number 9, finally something different. TC Helicon Go XLR Mini. Now this is fairly inexpensive, $149. Two microphone inputs, and thankfully, it kind of breaks the streak of universal audio and Focusrite. Number eight, we're back to Behringer UMC 1820. This has eight microphone preamps, which makes it different. Number seven, we're back to Focusrite. Focusrite Scarlett 18i20. And of course, this is their biggest interface with lots of inputs and eight preamps. Number 6, the Focusrite Scarlett 4i4 3rd Gen. Number 5, something different again, the Rode Rodecaster Pro. This is going to be selling mostly to podcasters and it suits their needs because it has all of the features that a podcaster would want rather than a musician. Number 4, Universal Audio again, the Apollo Twin X Duo Heritage Edition. Number 3, TC Audio again, TC Helicon Go XLR. Number two, the Focusrite Scarlett Solo 3rd Gen, and number one, Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 3rd Generation, and this beats them all by a long shot. So this is by far the most popular interface that you can buy. Now Focusrite had six in the top 20, Universal Audio had five, but what's interesting is there's none from RME, Motu, Apogee, or Metric Halo. So we'll see if things begin to shift in 2022, but these are the ones for 2021 that are the most popular. My guest this week is Grammy-nominated mastering engineer Michael Romanowski, who's the owner and chief mastering engineer at Coast Mastering in Berkeley, California. Michael has over 30 years of experience mastering in stereo, But he's been a pioneer in mastering for immersive audio, complete with a new purpose-built 9.1.6 room. Michael's immersive credits include the original motion picture soundtrack for Dune, Hans Zimmer, three albums by Alicia Keys, The Eagles Live from the Forum, and quite a few others. During the interview, we spoke about what people expect from immersive mastering, how the loudness wars are creeping in again, the tools he uses and the tools he still requires, what makes a great immersive mix, and much more. I spoke with Michael via Zoom from a studio in the Bay Area. I want to talk about immersive audio. You seem to be one of the first in on that in terms of mastering. So how did you get started in it?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question. I built my first surround room, so when... Paul Stubblebine and I were sharing a space when we moved into the old Coast Recorders place on Mission Street. We built two 5.1 rooms and had been working in that in that realm for a bit. We had a, you know, Sonoma system there for a while doing SACD and um, and got into some other, you know, other releases and and working on other stuff. You know, it was it was not such a. Um, um let's say active field it was definitely as a as a surround field even before we got to immersive so even as a surround field it was kind of a niche market because it was you know it was kind of hard to get it out there it was hard to distribute that's always been the consumer listening experience for one predictability the other is knowing like not only how to listen but to know what they're listening to and listening for you know we just we hadn't we we didn't have a very good system in place to go beyond the fan aspect of what it is to sit and listen. You know, I'm very fortunate. I've got, a, I've got a room with a lot of speakers and I can come sit and listen and everything is just, you know, dreamy and awesome for me to be able to hear that way, but not everybody can. And some are really relegated to sound bars and, and the headphone experience and stuff like that. But at least we've gotten there because back in the day, you'd have to have a Blu-ray player or you'd have to have something and a speaker set up to do so. And didn't really work so well in cars because there was no, you know, uh, you're off center from the listening position, um, road noise, engine noise, um, you know, your environment, sound bouncing off glass in unpredictable ways. And how many people do you have in the car? And you know and all those kinds of things made it kind of um kind of weird you know or at least at least for consumers not something that was adopted very easily so I've been dabbling in it ever since and working until I started getting into doing some really wanted to go further and I got into doing some testing for Dolby um and then I ended up getting in some some testing as well with Sony uh with their their platform and and I've worked with um uh, Fraunhofer and again doing some testing and and then now I've been what I found myself working with is is some of the DAW manufacturers and uh, having discussions with plug-in manufacturers about what I'd like to see tool-wise. Because that's the other thing that's you know kind of caught us in this recent sort of I don't want to say band-aid ripped off, but that's how that's how Apple would actually characterize it and say that they're they're jumping in with both feet to say that we're now. Releasing this as a way for consumers, yeah, uh, yay on the on the high res audio. So at the same time, fantastic. But the you know getting into distributing immersive audio even through you know MP4s um, caused a mad rush for people to try to figure out what's going on. Thankfully, I've had some years and years to build up to this point of understanding what mastering certainly from a 30 year career in the mastering field and how that applies itself to immersive audio when you're dealing with more channels i've i've had some time to ramp up i'm not jumping in the deep end of the pool without knowing if there's water in it i've already been paddling around and so um, this the, the time spent working from immer- with stereo or, i mean sorry working for um, in uh, in surround you know and then building up and testing w- when i was at the fantasy complex um, I moved, I moved about two years, almost two years ago now, built a new room that was specifically for Atmos Mastering. I think this is the first mastering facility built specifically for immersive audio. Um, the, uh, uh the room that I had was a, was a proof of concept. I, I, I got into putting up height speakers because I wanted to see how it felt. I wanted to get into how that worked. What are, what are, um, Uh, the different speaker locations, understanding, doing research, understanding, you know, uh, azimuth and elevation, where things are going to go and how's it going to fit, which format is what, how could I, how could I adapt knowing that for mastering that it's not about one format specifically, it's about serving your client. And the deliverables aspect is the best thing for clients to do is to be able to try to get their music out there in as many ways as possible. So if I lock myself into one format, let's say, then I would not be able to fully deliver for my clients who wanted another format as well, because they want to go out into distribution platforms, for example. So um, sorry, a long way to get to the question of just a lot of learning over time, I've been building up the skill set and the listening, listening to everything I can get my ears on and understanding what the um, localization, the present, the, the presentation, the, the size of the room, uh, the speakers, their um, uh, their dispersion. I had a good discussion with Focal folks uh, just recently um, uh, with regards to center, uh, uh, height speakers. Um, I wish that they would make a height speaker that would that would give me the sort of midfield and narrow um, dispersion that I need for for using them as height channels. They don't currently have a product like that. Now they're working on one. Um, So I've been able to kind of, you know, like I said, figure some of this out while working with different companies to try to get there uh, on this. Um, And then again, like I said, when Apple ripped the Band-Aid off and says, we're all in, you know, it sort of threw people in a frenzy. But uh, thankfully, I had a good running start.
0: What do people expect from you? Do mixers, do labels, do artists expect from you when they give you their project to be mastered? What does that mean to them? Immersive Mastering.
1: You know, um, mastering, so to me, the thing about what mastering is immersively uh, in in this world is honestly the same kind of things that stereo mastering is, thinking about translatability. You've got the last, well, so let's step back for a moment. The last step of the artistic production side of things, the first step of the manufacturing distribution side of the world. So whether it's a single or whether it's an album, you still want to know that it's going to translate in these days the translatability is so way over the map with what immersive audio is because there are so many different ways for people to hear it and so many different interpretations and not necessarily knowing what somebody's hearing if you're listening to a binaural mix where does the binaural come from is it a down mix from something else is it a separate plug-in is it a separate mix that was mixed as a binaural is it a 2.0 is it an mp4 is it a Sony MP4, which is different from, you know, different from what the MPEG-4, the video that, that well, it's somewhat some header information. But, you know, from, you know, what Dolby is exporting, um, it's uh, so anyway, there, there, are, there are so many more places for things to go wrong in multi-channel audio than there are with stereo audio. If you think about all of the reasons that you get stereo material mastered, every single one of them is valid and necessary in a multi-channel and an immersive world. And on top of that, multiply that times the number of channels you're doing. And it's seems exponential, the number of problems, not just a multiplying factor, you know, of the channels. You know, you can introduce all sorts of phase issues. What are level issues? You got to know the trend, like I said, the translatability part of it in of itself. If somebody's listening on speakers, okay, awesome. What does it sound like? Somebody's listening on a sound bar, Okay. Is that, that's a sort of a hybrid and in between. And then you've got all the different variations, the Sennheiser bar, which I think is fantastic, you know, does a really good job of, of uh, knowing the room and spreading things above and around and behind you. Not the same as what speakers would do, but, but definitely awesome. Um, and then there are some other ones that do a little less and they're progressively sort of less or I say a better way to say it, fewer number of channels that are able to be spread around. You may see somebody with a three channel sound bar, you know, and then two satellite speakers, for example, or, you know, there are, there are some sound bars that are using, that are firing going up to get back, to get, you know, height information. And then do they know the room and et cetera. So anyway, it, it's, it's, uh, it's all over the map. I, I, somewhere around here, well, I took it up, I took it at the other studio upstairs over here for the um, for some QC the other day, but like a little Amazon echo studio pro, you know, there are, you know, there are gateway drugs into immersive audio from things as simple as 200 bucks or something like that into multi thousands of dollars. And then you get into home systems, but you have to know for the exact same reasons, is it going to translate? So what do people expect is so yeah, that's a totally other thing because sorry. Yeah. A lot of really great questions in one there is so, so, um, the necessity for mastering for me is something that is even more important in this world than it is with stereo. And I believe fully in what I think immersive or what stereo mastering obviously been doing it long enough. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a hat unto itself. It's not a hyphen. It's not the mixed guy finishing person. It's not the mixed person finishing the mix. It's actually there's an intent and a, and a, and a um, uh, perspective and a hat and a, in a goal state in mastering that's different. Same kind of thing with immersive audio, just cause you have the Dolby renderer, for example, for Atmos and you can make an Atmos master from there, doesn't mean that, that, that that's done. You still have levels to deal with. You still have to deal with the trimming to match the stereo. So it, so it goes with the stereo. You have loudness to pay attention to. You have album loudness, then there's tonality. Then there's the balance of what are each of the speakers doing. Is it lopsided one way or the other? Are there phasing issues? If you do something, you have to be very, very careful with compression and any kind of dynamics control, because if you're not really paying attention to the bed and objects, and then the bed and objects, you can start throwing imaging all over the place and really, really screw things up quickly with just minute changes. So there's there's a lot to pay attention to here.
0: Now, I can understand how when you work with dynamics, it would be a matter of leveling things out where there's nothing that's too wild in terms of extreme levels. But are you asked to actually make things louder?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, good question. And uh, yeah, you know what? We are getting to that world where unfortunately, if we're not really paying attention, we're going to hit the loudness wars with immersive audio. And to me, one of the, the, the biggest culprits back in the day for immersive for i mean for for the loudness wars of how we started doing this was was to me the the, the first nail in the coffin because I, I i think it's a bad thing the first nail in it was when we got cd shuffler when there was multi disc players and you started shuffling between songs within a body of work on one disc and all of a sudden they were doing this then we get to the ipod where you know you've 10,000 crappy songs but the you know, because of the, you know, the, the format that he was pushing at the beginning, but the, the, um, the level of all of those went all over the place. They had to come up with sound check just to try to, you know, level things out a little bit, you know, but that, so, so now comparison, which as humans, we are, and creative people, we are want to do, we always want to sound unique, but we're always comparing to what what everybody else is doing. That act of comparison volume has become a barometer of quality instead of just, volume sake for volume sake, you know, are you as loud as somebody else? Is it better because it's louder in the immersive world? We hadn't had that problem because up to this point, we've been using Blu-rays or, or downloaded files, DSDs, uh, different types of physical media. And so we haven't had that same issue. And then even within the multiplayers, that could, could potentially play these different things. They had issues, you know, it take a minute for the codec to switch over and get it. So it wasn't this immediate gratification of this is louder, this is quieter that we, you know, we sort of become accustomed to uh, in the in this comparison world. Um, so um, uh, the switch to getting more distributed, immersive audio, whether it was, Through Avid Play, getting things on Amazon and Apple, and then now Tidal and Deezer, and I'm sure everybody else is going to be, you know, there's some kind of waiting in the wings to see if this is going to be a good business model or not to do. You know, I I think this time, honestly, it's going to stick. It's going to be a consumer format. I think there are a lot of signs pointing to this becoming the majority format. Um, There's a lot of also pushback on people thinking, well, intentional stereo the uh, there's a whole can of worms to open and i, I want to make sure i i hit your questions what you want to talk about without opening up other pandora's boxes of you know of best practices and procedures oh please do but the loudest thing the very first thing sorry back to that the very the very first thing you asked the loudest thing we've gotten into where people are forgetting that this is album oriented and we really need to be paying attention to album level and album playback and not shuffle because where we the tools being developed now you know, for dolby for example a minus 18 is a deliverable target for minus one of true peak and minus 18 is a deliverable i applaud them for putting their foot down and saying this is what it should be i wish everybody else would join in and agree on that i wish the stereo delivery was the same level recommendations as the atmos so we don't have dueling problems with stereo in the comparison of you know the same the same material there but what we're finding is that even though that somebody has now, they and Dolby has set and, and there is a deliverable limit is that people are wanting to make their, here's, here's the, the hard point. The, the, the hard task is the, the, and I'll say soapbox uh, on my soapbox pedestal, the extreme amount of compression that people are limiting that people are using to achieve their stereo mixes is not possible in this world, in the immersive world. We don't have the tools to do it, uh, and it doesn't behave the same way, but yet people still want that same feeling that they get when things are pushed together and squoze. So what we're ter- what, what's happening is we're, we're again doing this, even though we're putting a ceiling on it, we're raising the level to try to get the same feeling that you get with what, what over, I'll say it overcompressed compressed stereo material is these days. The problem with that is that there's two, there's a twofold problem. One is in the in the stereo speakers, which are over here for me. In the stereo speakers, you're trying to get all of this information to come out of these two speakers. Or in the mono world, I still use Sergeant Pepper as my example of the the engineering it took to get all of those awesome, those instruments to come out of one speaker. And the mono version was really really awesome you take those things and you spread them around, this piano and this guitar that may have had to work in this context don't necessarily work this well out here. So what people are trying to do is either um, do a quick mix and just spread stuff around, which doesn't fold down, doesn't sound like this, it's it's not using the format, or they're trying to move things around and then compress it to get that same feeling of squeezing stuff into it. but at this point, you've had to make the piano feel bigger. You've had to add EQ. You had to make it, you know, uh, same with the guitar and same with the vocals. And so, you now, now that you have this space, you have to make them a little bit bigger to fit in and feel appropriate and balance and presentation. But again, that doesn't squeeze down to be the same thing as a stereo. So, um, the other side of the problem with the loudness is, In headphones, as most people are listening, headphones have a stereo mix, the vocals and everything else is right in the center of your head. From immersive audio, it's by design meant to be out of your head. So, we're used to hearing this bullhorn from the center with headphones on, and now it's all coming from around you. And so, you don't get that, again, that sort of same pressure, that same feel, or that same experience. So, There's a lot of education for us to do to try to help people understand what's different about it. And until we do so, one of the major problems is trying to push it louder and louder and move it to the center of your head in that experience for some of the what I would say are the wrong reasons and something completely germane to a different platform.
0: But again, it's apples and oranges. So they're trying to compare something that can't be compared, or they're trying to make something that isn't, it's not the same it's not meant to be so why even bother yeah
1: you know one of the opportunities we have one of the things i think is exciting about it and anytime there's something new like like when we came out with cds and or when you know when the industry has changed in in different ways um deliverables how consumers listen um those kinds of things a a very standard practice is back catalog is releasing something that's familiar to folks to help ease them into the transition of a new way of experiencing things. We're in that, to me, the toddler phase right now, where we're sort of stumbling through the, you know, we're able to walk, but we're still sort of shuffling our feet a little bit in in understanding what this is or what this could be. What I'm really excited about is the possibilities of not the back catalog or current things now, but what people will be using and how to express creatively their musical compositions, or their you know whatever it is they want to get across, their performance, their style, their vocal question and answer of choruses, doing things, instruments, do like just just the whole the fact that you're painting, as they say, painting the room, not the front wall. You've got the whole room to work with, ceiling as well. And when people start creating that way, I think it's going to uh, it's going to make more sense, or I think it's going to move forward in in different ways. We're going to develop the best practices and the skill sets. It's not to me. It's not unlike the when stereo came in, went from mono to stereo, and you know if you listened. uh, For me, an example is uh, "Are You Experienced" from Jimi Hendrix. You know, you put it on the, put it on on the the speakers, and you're like, okay, cool. Hey, they found the pan knob. They're having some fun. This is cool. Put this on headphones, and you can get seasick because they're like, oh, this is fun. (laughs) Let's just do this because we can. You know, we've settled back from that world. We're doing that now here.
0: You talked about tools before. I can remember back in the early 5.1 days where the delivery format was so much further along than the creation tools that we had and everything was kludged together. But I get the feeling that the tools are a lot farther along from what I can tell, especially when it comes to mastering. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I would say so to some extent, Um, not completely, because there are a lot of tools I wish I had and some have been able to help get in development, which is awesome, and we'll see where they go. The tools are. I think that the. I think the reason that the tools are like we've we didn't just jump to seven or more. Cha- or let's just say eight because we can say things happen in banks of eight. So seven point one is a good example, or you know, is um, um, as a, as a good way to think about you know still surround sound. We we're able to deal in a floor level or in a bank of eight. As tools, we've been able to build up EQs and compressors and uh, side chaining and you know uh, and routing capabilities and a whole lot of things as a sort of eight channel bus structure or eight channel lane that we didn't have when 51 came out. So all of that had to really be started from then. and and so that was new and why we didn't really have those things. Now we've been working through that world a little bit more, even even when thinking about, not even necessarily the music aspect of it, but games, game design, movies, sound design, like all of those things have been just been growing and growing and growing like crazy. Now music is catching up to some of the tools that they've had for a bit. Um, but we've had some of that, you know, we've we, we've had some of their back to or shoulders to stand on, as well as a developmental work for five one to get here. So as we're getting into different bus structures for some of the DAWs, um, getting on uh, different capabilities of some of the compressors, uh, channel count wise, linking feature wise, side chaining feature wise, like all sorts of those kinds of things. You know, we've we've got um, we've got more of a running start this time than we did when we went from stereo to five one.
0: What tools are you using? Software tools. Software tools.
1: Well, I'm using well. Well, so my DAW of choice is Nuendo. I've been using that for 20 years. Um, I think it sounds best. I think it works best. It's always been, to me, features well ahead of what everybody else is doing. And, and, and to me, it's still that case. So um, I've been working with some others along the way, trying to help help get them, uh, specifically mastering tools. One of the things that I really need as a mastering tool, and I will um, say this, you know, whatever the platform might be, is... Yeah, the comparison aspect of it is being able to listen to the stereo master, be able to audition the MP4, be able to audition the binaural render and the Atmos master all, you know, at the same time. The other thing I want to be able to do is put all of my ADM files together in a row like I would sequence an album. That's a tough thing. Like we like some of the things that we haven't thought about or haven't haven't really been an issue would be, you know, if you take an ADM file, you know, which is the delivery format for for uh, uh, Atmos, and, and then you want to put the one next to it. Let, let's say you've got an album. I mean, I'll, okay, I'll be specific. I just finished the um, uh, working with George Massenberg and Eric Schilling and Ann Mincelli on the Alicia Keys catalog. And a lot of what we had, so, re, re, so recreating the stereo record, there were times where there were lots of crossfades, but you can't do crossfades in Atmos because you can't, if you think about, yeah, See, one of the things you think about um, even just briefly, how many objects you can have, you've got a bed, and you've got so many objects, but if you're using 60 objects, how do you crossfade an object from one to another? Like there's just no way to crossfade an object. Right. And you can't even reserve like the next level because if you're using 70 objects and the next song has 70 objects, a lot in both cases, but technically possible, there's no overlap. You can't, there's not enough to hand off. You can't even just say use 71 through 140 because there's only up to 128. So, you know, there's a lot of considerations about how to put these tools together. And that's, that's what I mean by like some of the things I want, some assembly tools. We're used to the paradigm of stereo files going track one, track two, track three, track four. Oh, top and tail, get the fades just right get the spaces just right, put the markers, PQ points, ISRC codes, UPC, get the deliverables ready, all of that. And you go, okay, cool, let's do that with Atmos. Wait a minute, what? Okay, wait, uh, how, am gonna, how am I gonna do this? Can't embed metadata at the moment, would love to be able to embed metadata. The uh, time code starting is kind of weird. There's no way to be able to, we're stumbling into the sort of, how do we put these together in that realm? So anyway, you asked me about tools. That's so as a new, as a as a DAW. Nuendo is what I use uh, the most for my uh, atmos work and for my for my immersive work. Because Sony, frankly, Sony also has now a plugin that is you know, allows you to use their platform, uh, your DAW of choice, Pro Tools or Nuendo at the moment, VST or AAX at the moment, to be able to make Sony 360 files within your project, just like you can with Atmos, having the Dolby render within each of those platforms. So you don't, what we had to do originally, and this is where time frame is moving on, is that early adopters, like you'd have to start with this whole big rendering machine and you'd have to run to another thing and go across Maddie and bring it back and capture it. And that got whittled down and whittled down. And now, you know, in many cases, it's on the same machine if you're not doing too much or, you know, if you've got the horsepower to be able to do so. So we're we're getting there with the tools they're being developed and we're getting toward working with the mindset of how have we ever been approaching stereo this whole time so how can we approach use that paradigm with immersive audio um other other i mean i'm using so plug-in wise because i i can't do this analog wise my 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 stereo mastering is out of, is out of the box but just it'd be ridiculous to be able to have the complement of tools necessary to do it in an analog world. So um, I'm using FabFilter stuff. I'm using Flux stuff. I'm using Universal Audio. Um, um, trying to think of some of the others. Uh, AOM actually, there's a handful of things from a Japanese company called AOM that I like a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll think about it. But those are kind of I would say go to. Those are standard go tos with.
0: Lots of others. But you have the tools. There are enough tools to get the job done as far as, as plugins.
1: Yeah, yeah, and an abundance of them. And, and, and I mean, as far as choices goes, like MAT, M-A-A-T, real, uh, they make great plugins, great EQs. You know, I, I would love to see, I use their EQs a lot, but if I'm doing a large project or something, you know, they're pretty horsepower specific. That's, you know, I'd like to see some development on the horsepower side, but also hardware side. I'm anxiously awaiting I think as a lot of people are, whatever M2 Mac comes out or next version of the Mac Pro or something to be able to, you know, ramp up my ramp up my horsepower a little bit. Um, but also for have them to be able to look at having multi-channel versions of. There are some things that I have that are only stereo, and it would be awesome to have a, a bigger one. Like in the mixing realm, it would be awesome to have a stereo, I have a tape delay, have a 7.1 delay that you can adjust the delay for the different speakers. What, you know, rather than having to put a stereo delay here and a stereo delay here and one over there, and then try to bust between them and try to make some interesting happens, you know, just beyond compression or EQ, I'd love to see people get creative with with things like delays and reverbs and such. There's some really good ones out there. I use the uh, Exponential Audio Reverb, by the way, the Stratus and the Symphony 3D are fantastic. Also, the um, the Paragon is fantastic. I use the the Paragon a lot too. Those are kind of my big go tos.
0: What are you using for speakers, Michael?
1: I have the Focal Stella. I always I can never remember Stella or Scala. Whatever is the one down from Utopia. It's the it's the biggest three way. I um because it works. I, actually, I had the Utopias. The four way was great when I when I was at the other room. Um, when I was on the Mission Street studio, I couldn't go to three in the front because they were too big. So I actually went down a size. Um, But what it turns out that I really like for me, um, and in the orientation of either the Fantasy Complex or here moving forward, bringing it a little bit closer to me, having one less crossover point. So the three way actually is smoother in octave transitions for me in the positions that I have. So I I really like that. And I believe strongly in three across the front being exactly the same. I think you know going all the way around if you could, not not technically or financially possible in a lot of different ways. So I'm using the Focal Diablos Evo's, um, same beryllium tweeter and same mid range. That's what I really liked. I I want to have the same high frequency or same that presentation on this floor plane. Not so bad. So I'm using the Neumann three tens as my ceiling speakers. So I have a nine one six setup. So there's six of them up there. The two in the center can be moved. I've got a rail that's going like this, and the two in the center can be moved to be over, well, this guy right here, the rear for the Sony speaker format. You don't have the rears, you have over the side at 110 degrees. So I can adopt to different speaker positions for the different formats in this room. One of the reasons I have them on a track, and this is one of the reasons I'm using the 310s, besides I think they're fantastic speakers, is they're easily mountable, and I can move them on a rail where I need to to different positions to do different, complete different types of work. And then I'm using Bricasti as the amplifiers
0: for all those. Last question, Michael. What do you consider a really great immersive mix? And you've heard a lot of them. You, you've studied this for a while. So, what are the characteristics of something that's really good?
1: You know, um that's an excellent question. And I've been, um, yeah, that's a that's a uh, an excellent question because I think that that's one of the things. It's easy to get wrapped up in the mechanics or everything other than the experience Uh, as a big goofy music fan. I mean, that's how I got into this was sitting down and listening to records and generally listening with friends. Like I I would say that that's also a a great way for ear training is to sit with folks and listen to other, and then talk about what you're hearing with them. If I'm sitting down on myself or, or, or with somebody, I would say the thing that moves me, it's, it's not stylistic. Like I'm not a, I only listen to reggae, or I'm only a classic jazz fan, you know, whatever it is. I like anything that moves me uh, because I, I just like the the expression, the, the emotion that you can get out of music. And what I think that makes a good, a characteristic of a good immersive mix, presentation, master, you know, distribution, any of that stuff, is something that's transportative, something that takes me away from thinking about how the sausage is made and just enjoying the experience. Do I get it's it, it, in a stereo world i would i would i would make it uh, analogous to hearing something that you kind of want to lean in for you kind of want to lean in and listen for a minute you know you kind of go oh okay cool or you want to you want to hear it again because you go i'm not sure but there's something in this that makes me want to hear that again what is that is it a sound is it a texture is it a word is it a phrase is it an emotion like what Is it a smell? Like, what is it that? And I just want to—I just want to hear this again. And then we've all had the music that kind of makes us want to, you know, makes you want to lean back a little bit. The same thing with immersive. I would say that when I when I hear something that that it just the system disappears. A good mix or a good presentation is I am stopping all processing of what I'm listening to or how I'm listening to something. And paying attention only to what I'm listening to, and I think that that an engineer that can utilize the speakers and utilize a sense of space to take somebody on a journey outside of where they are at the moment is, you know, that's a success. That's what I would call a great mix. I, I I've heard him in the in the classical world, Morton Lindbergh. Morton like doing listening to Morton stuff. We'll just put hairs. George actually, so I say George Massman. We were when we were working on these uh, on the Alicia stuff and in other circumstances. I've been fortunate enough to sit with George in a room and listen. And every time we put on something, I I just I I, I see his face when he just looks up and he holds up his arm and he goes, "Look, my hairs are standing up. I got hairs standing up." I think it was like that's exactly right. Like and that's what Morton's stuff does, as do many others. But to me, an example of it pulls you in. It creates a sensation it doesn't have to be in your face, you know, back to the loudness thing. I think that the more it's in your face, the less interested I am in it, the less it does for me. I mean, I'm I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve my clients and, um, and I'm going to do the best I can to get it where it needs to go to from a personal standpoint. I like music to breathe. I like the expression, you know, I, I what it is is what makes this artist different from that artist is not the notes they play sometimes, but it's how they play the notes. And when you take away the dynamics that show how they play the notes, then it's back to just the notes. And then everybody can do that. When you beat detective and you, you pitch correct, but even more so stomp on the dynamics to make everything homogenous, you're losing the humanity of the music. And so that's a long way to get back around to what moves me in a good mix is something that I, I get to hear the art. I get to hear the humanness of the creator, you know, of the, The person that has a vision has something to say and a way and a story and an engineer that they work with that helps them get that story really translated. And, you know, it's a sum of the parts all the way along the way, but if you can get to the end and you've got something that just takes you somewhere else, that's awesome. It's just fantastic to me.
0: You can find out more about Michael at coastmastering.com. That's coastmastering, C-O-A-S-T, mastering, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to the questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean